At Black Nerds Create, we love all things fandom and creation, and we especially love fantasy. That's why we're excited for our newly named Black Magical History Month coming in February. Black Magical History Month is our sixth annual celebration of Black stories, characters, and fans across different fantasy media. Get ready for a month of digital events, challenges, and community turnups all across social media. To stay up to date and get more information, go to blacknerdscreate.com. I'm Lin-Manuel Miranda, and you're listening to Hard Knock Life. Hard Knock Life. I'm Keith Chow. I'm Brittany Monet. Dominic is off once again this week, but we do have a special guest co-host. He's been on the podcast several times. He's he's basically a member of the podcast family. He is part of the podcast family because the Middle Geeks is one of the best podcasts on the network. He is our Flash expert, and he recently reviewed Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania for But Why Though. Please welcome back to Hard Knock Life, Swarasale. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on again, you guys. I've missed y'all and I'm very happy to be here right now. Yeah, it's it's been a minute, but as I said, you know, you you kind of are the perfect guest for this for this episode because we're going to spend an inordinate amount of time on two things. Last week we didn't cover the Super Bowl one because we recorded ahead of the Super Bowl, so I didn't know what trailers or exactly the content of the trailers. But after watching the Super Bowl and the trailers that dropped. I could not talk about The Flash, so we're going to spend a, a good portion of the podcast talking about The Flash trailer, and we're also on the heels of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania's release, and as I mentioned, Suara did a review for But Why Though, and, and I think it's going to have an interesting conversation about Ant-Man. But before we do, how's everybody doing? I'm doing good. Hanging in there. It's been really, like, cold in California. California, it's been really cold, so it's yeah. just... <laughs> which is, like, which is like summer for us, right, Suara? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah exactly so yeah it's been cold so just trying to get used to that but i still drink iced coffee so it's kind of like I, i'm just <laughs> making it worse for myself i've actually heard that you're supposed to have cold drinks and meals in order to adjust to the cold but i will never do that i'm a soup guy i need it hot <laughs> i'm doing well we have kind of floppy weather right here in the dmv area like he was talking about there are cherry blossoms blooming already, which is a very bad sign, climate change. <laughs> but on a personal level, I'm doing well. Very thankful for the three-day weekend and being able to have some breathing room and just chill and very happy to be on with y'all again. <laughs> yeah, no, so let, let's get into it. Let's not let's not wait any longer. God knows we've waited long enough for this movie. But the only trailer that mattered during the Super Bowl, at least in my opinion, and it's unfortunate, before we get into like everything that I've kind of loved about the trailer, I do want to start with the the obvious disclaimer that because this movie stars Ezra Miller and all the allegations against them we have to acknowledge that up front that they are very problematic and all the charges against them are still pending or some aren't even pending some have been prosecuted right understanding all of that this is not an endorsement of Ezra's behavior and that movie was too far in post-production to to replace them with Grant Gustin or whoever like there was all the rumors and all the kind of like wish casting that said, what did you guys think of our first real look at The Flash? I hate that it looks so good. <laughs> I hate it because it's just like, like you were saying, like, I don't support anything that, you know, Ezra has done. It's so unfortunate that this movie has such a problematic lead because the film just looks like so much fun. I saw it again, like on the big screen last night, because I saw Ant-Man last night. So just seeing it, I like literally did the whoo when <laughs> we saw Michael <laughs> Keaton, like <laughs> embarrassingly really loud. But I don't know. It just looks so good. And it, like, again, it's just frustrating that it's like, because then I'm like, do I want to have Michael Keaton suffer because of Ezra Miller? And then, you know, or, or Sasha, Sasha Kaye. Yeah. yeah. And you just start thinking of everyone else that so you're like, oh, and it gets into that territory of like, you know just because one person's problematic do you want to like ruin everyone else's money like then you're like oh yeah i don't know it's such a like double-edged sort of thing or you actually had a you had a similar tweet about when the flash mm. trailer came out about like it yeah. looks incredible you know sasha k looks incredible but ezra's in the center and 
you know, the, the dilemma. I mean, that's the dilemma. That was the dilemma going into this movie from Jump mm-hmm. Street, right? I mean, yeah, I, I'm just like totally on board with Brittany that it looks incredible. Andy Muschietti, who directed its parts one and two, the first one is an incredible film. Second one, I think, had some issues, but still, like overall, a quite a riveting film. Like he is a really visionary filmmaker. He clearly knows what he wants to do with this Flash film, which has been in development hell for like what seems like a decade, <laughs> which is crazy. As a life DC fan, this is giving me everything I want. It's giving me Supergirl in the big big screen. Not that we haven't had Supergirl in the big screen before, like in the bad 1970s film or 1980s film, but you know, like for real, like in Michael Keaton Batman, like that is my favorite Batman other than Batinson. Like I love the Batman, but Batman and Batman Returns are two of my favorite films of all time. Absolutely iconic. And what Tim Burton, Michael Keaton did with the role. And I know it's like, yeah, I see your poster of the key. Yes. I need to get one of those. Am I shrying to Michael Keaton? (laughs) Exactly. Oh, so good. It's just like this giving me everything I want. And not just in a fan, and again, not just in a fan servicey way. Andy Muschietti, I can tell he knows what he's doing. He knows what he wants to convey to audiences and how he wants to utilize these characters. And it's just like, I hate to say this, but I understand why WB execs and James Gunn have been like, this is one of the best comic book films of all time. We can see it from the trailer. We can like get that vibe from the trailer. And I just hate, hate, hate that someone so problematic and like who has committed legit crimes like Ezra Miller is still the main star. And it's irony that we are so invested in this film already for everyone but the title character of the flash it's just like i I would have loved if they could could have somehow reworked it into another title or something like that but probably because of contracts and you know what ezra you know was able to get like through promising that they would rehabilitate themselves it, this is what we're getting. And I do think that a lot of like hard work has been put into it by the actors, by Muschietti. And it's just like, it's a, a really unfortunate situation and bandwidth will vary. And we consume media all the time. That's by problematic people. Just that like, we can't deny that with Ezra Miller, it's another level. And I don't know. I don't have the answers. I can only speak for myself and say, I hate Ezra Miller. I think they're a terrible person, but this looks incredible. Please don't hate me for being excited about it. Well, and that's, I mean, and that's the thing too, like you mentioned that if we were to dispose of all art by problematic people, we'd have no art to to consume, right? Like it it may sound like I've just been like stalking your Twitter thread, but like you, you recently tweet tweeted about the road doll estate and how, it's kind of setting a dangerous oh, yeah, precedent to like thing. go yeah. in and let, let's start, let's start kind of like removing anything that's been problematic in like, you know, literature that was written decades ago. Right. We don't want to be in a position where we can kind of like turn a blind eye to problematic things. That said, I get why you don't want to give money. You know, you don't, I don't buy R. Kelly records for a reason. You know what I'm saying? I don't. And, and it's in, but it, in this situation, I mean, I, was, I don't buy our it's record, but I still listen to Michael Jackson. I'm, yeah. I mean, I mean, if a Miles Davis record comes on, I can't turn it off, right? Like Miles Davis said horrible things. You know, this doesn't have to be a conversation about separating art from artists, because I know that's a whole other mm-hmm. can of worms. But what do you do in that situation, right? Like when it's it's tough, yeah. it's tough, man. It's, it's really tough because it's not like, you know, I feel like in this situation, I don't know, maybe more people involved in the film are problematic, but we don't know about that. So it's just like, when there's only one problematic person that you know for sure, it's kind of just like you feel bad about making pretty much maybe everyone else suffer for that, you know, because also then if this film doesn't do well, it's unfortunately going to be another setback for DC. And we keep saying how we want DC to have a win and stuff. And it's just unfortunate that this win might kind of be a little bit soured by Ezra, I don't know. There's rumors always flying around that they're going to find a way to rework it where Grant Gustin is the Flash now. But it's like he's been the Flash for so long. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I don't think even if, even if that would happen, I'm not pretty sure Grant's the Flash like, anymore. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. I, I, it's so like, I don't know. It's a really tough situation, but I'm so excited for the film. And then like, Same. I love Michael <laughs> Shannon. So it's just like. But here's a funny thing, right? Like we talked about this last year when that initial teaser came out during fandom and it was you know, basically revealed that Ezra would be playing two characters, right? Like that was known even before this trailer dropped that because 
when when they had that initial fandom teaser you saw two ezra millers in the in the shot and even then i think we discussed on the podcast Brittany, like you know of course at the time they didn't know what they were dealing with with ezra right like all this problematic stuff happened in the last two years like since the film went into production but it's almost unfortunate that's the, the like doubly unfortunate like literally doubly unfortunate that ezra's playing two versions of barry like we said at the time, like, that would have been a good opportunity to bring in, like, Grant or somebody else to be that mm-hmm. second Flash. But now, like, you're not only replacing one Ezra Miller, you're replacing two Ezra Millers, right? Yeah. So, yeah, it's 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 kind of like, ignorance is bliss at this point, right? If you didn't know all the bad things Ezra Miller did, this would look like the best DC movie ever made. And it's yeah. hard to separate the two. But, I mean, here here's how magical this trailer was. For three minutes... I didn't give a crap about Ezra Miller <laughs> yeah. from Keaton to even Affleck. It made me love, yeah. I mean, I never hated Ben Affleck, but like even seeing his version of Bruce pop up in the trailer, I was like, mm-hmm. well, damn. And then to see the, the events of Man of Steel, which I did not like, I hate the third act of Man of Steel. That's one of the Same. worst things in all of the DCEU. And, and I like Man of Steel mostly, except for that. But even seeing that return, I'm like, wow, this was a, such a great kind of like bookend to the DCEU for them to then transition into the gunverse. I a thousand percent agree. I personally never vibed with Zack Snyder's vision, unlike his many fans online. <laughs> Come for me if you want. But I don't think that the castings were necessarily the problem, except mm-hmm. maybe in one or two instances that I'll argue. Oh, and, but... Ezra. <laughs> and Ezra. <laughs> the biggest problem. Yes. <laughs> biggest problem. But no, like with this trailer there's such an incredible energy throughout it that just takes you on this thrill ride in a really great way. It's funny. I've been using thrill ride in a negative way recently with superhero films, but I think in this one, it's more apt in a positive way. It's about the manipulation through the time force and the reverberations throughout time and space, like how that's going to affect the previous films in the DCEU, like you mentioned, Keith. And it's just like, it looks so interesting. And I love that they chose certain powerful performances, especially from Sasha Kaye as Supergirl. First off, she looks fantastic and she's giving her all in this role. And I saw like when she tweeted out and on Instagram, she was like, I love Supergirl so much. She teaches me so much about hope. And I'm like, oh, please let her still be Kara Zor-El in the DCU. By the way, she confirmed that she is Kara Zor-El Supergirl, not like Lara Lane Kent, like from the Injustice comics, which in fairness, her design was based off of, but she is playing Kara Zorel, like Cal L's cousin. So, I mean, just like from what I saw in that trailer, like, so we know that in the new DCU, one of the adaptations will be of Tom King's Supergirl Woman of Tomorrow, which is a brilliant, amazing comic. Yeah, Keith holding it right. Yeah, it's amazing. Like, everyone should read it. I'm so excited for the film adaptation. I think that Sasha Kaye as Supergirl in that film will be absolutely brilliant. I hope that what I really hope is, I mean, yeah, I hope the film does well and is critically well received that WB execs will be like, hmm, maybe we should keep her like for Kara Zorel in the new DCU. I just want them to recast like Ezra Miller at the end of the flash. I want them to rewrite the universe and it'll be a new cast. I don't think it'll be Grant Gustin as much as we love Grant. He's played this role for like over a decade now and let it be someone new. So, or better yet, also, like, listen, I, I love Barry, but I love Wally West more. I grew up on Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, and Wally West will always be my main Flash. So let it be Wally West is the new Flash. I think that could be really great. You know, and the, the funny thing is, like, we don't know anything about the DCU right now. And, you know, James Gunn mentioned that, like, Henry Cavill is not going to work as my Superman. And I've heard some of these rumblings online, too. Maybe that's because his Superman is John Kent, right? Because... If the Batman in the DCU is based on Grant Morrison's Batman and Son story arc, Nightwing was Batman <laughs> when, when Damien was Robin. So, like, is the Gunverse going to be, you know, John Kent and Dick is Batman? You know, I mean, probably not. I don't, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I, I will. it's going to be Clark and not, Bruce. But, you know, who right. knows at this point? Not to burst your bubble, but he did specifically say it would be a father and son story. I know. So, yeah. And I do it's just think that all the, all the art yet. that they use was like Dick is Batman. Right, right, <laughs> right. That maybe in another universe, another sure. DC multiverse. Yeah, 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 for sure. For, and, and, and you know, the, you know, that was based on what you were saying about 
maybe Flash is Wally, and you take all the legacy versions of these characters to to kind of jump off of. Which again, probably not. Most likely, you're going to see a Clark Kent story and a Bruce Wayne story, which is which is totally cool because you want to start. You know, if this is a new universe, you want to kind of start with the whatever. But you know, again, we've we've made our as our disclaimer. But one of the things I did also appreciate about this trailer is that in addition to all of like the fan servicey stuff and then all the great effects and you know Batman stuff, what what I think is why this movie is so high on like Warner execs and James Gunn is the emotional core. The the scene where Ezra said, where not Ezra, where Barry says, this is the one where my mom lives. Like that's the emotional through fair that I think is going to carry the movie. Because, you know, Flashpoint is such an iconic story. It's been adapted several times now, even in the TV show we've talked about, you know, and it's all because Barry- It was actually on that episode. Which, <laughs> well, he was in like, crisis. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But, you know, but Barry wanting to save his mom or live in the universe where his mom is still alive, that that is the kind of emotional core that I think was missing through a lot of DC movies up until now, right? And I, and I think that's where- you know, the, the fact that he's willing to destroy everything just to save his mom. Like, I think it's going to be as emotional as it is like spectacle. And that's the that's the formula. That's what Marvel had for the first few phases of its run. Like it connected the spectacle to the emotional. Okay. And I think and we'll talk about this in the second half of the pod. I think where Marvel's kind of lost the thread in the last, not just this movie, but in the last few movies, it's lost the emotion for the spectacle. And if DC can capture that and bring them both together, that's that's the form. That's the that's the winning form. I think that was Greg Berlanti's kind of like that was his equation when he launched the Arrowverse. It's like spectacle plus emotion. And there was like a third factor, too. But you know what I mean? And I think that's to me what got me the most. Well, no, what got me the most was seeing Michael Keaton say, I'm Batman. That was like got everybody. But but what what I what made me realize, like, though, this is going to be a really good movie was that one line that Barry says, this is the world where my mom lives. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I'm probably going to see this movie, so don't hate me, anyone listening. But yeah. Like, yeah. At, at, at the same time, like, this this may sound pretty bad, but I feel like we should also kind of, like, direct our energies better than, like, hating people for liking something, you know, or watching something, you know what I mean? Like just because you're watching and enjoying a movie doesn't necessarily mean you're endorsing every right. single like yeah. contributor to that. But you know, it is what it is. Sometimes you got to just bow down to the beast, I guess. I don't yeah. Know. It's not even bowing down. It's just like realizing that we have limits and the thing is like, you know, we're nerds. We do this for a living. Like we need to see these things, you know? So it's like different from maybe more general audiences, but at the same time, it's like people going about their daily lives just because they watch or consume something they may not know enough about, or even might've heard about. It's just like, there's so much going on in the world. And I think like what's important is having an open and honest conversation about people like Ezra, about other problematic actors and other things and let audiences decide, let people decide, Oh, whether or not they feel like going and watching that. And it's like, there are certain things, you know, I try to avoid, but I don't begrudge others for not avoiding. I just like, again, have that open and honest conversation. Then maybe in the long run, you know, things can change. And I think like things have changed to some degree or another, like in Hollywood or at least there's more of a microscope on like you know a certain person's individual actions and that will you know hopefully sway someone in a more positive direction but yeah like i'm going to see this film i'm going to acknowledge everything ezra has done i will like say this is yeah knowing these things like will you go and see it it's like i i make sort of like an analogy to like vegetarianism or like I've been vegetarian for like over eight years and then I became pescatarian and I never advocate anyone to like change their diet. I would always say, no, just know where your food comes from and make decisions based off of that. So sort of similar here. I mean, June 16th, I'm going to be there. I think everyone on this podcast is going to be there. Yeah. And <laughs> I will, I will also most likely have a screening so I won't pay money for it. So there we go. <laughs> hey. well, I've already kind of like, decided i'm buying the 4k blu-ray i mean i can't help it like it, i'm a, at the end of the day i'm a dc stan like that was that was always my preferred i, I was never actually a marvel fan growing up like i was 
strictly DC. Batman was my favorite character. Superman was my second favorite character. Very basic, right? Like, who are your two favorite superheroes? The, the two oldest ones, right? But that was, you know, that was what, why Brittany and I did a podcast together was to talk about all the old DC shows we used to watch. So like, to, to Brittany's point earlier, seeing them kind of like come back and the excitement generated by a DC movie. But part of what was so disappointing over the last like 10 years was that like, it was difficult to cape for them because I didn't like the, the material that much. And then the other people also caping for them were kind of terrible. <laughs> it was like, you know, saying you're a DC fan had a different stigma to it because of the actions mm-hmm. of a very, you know, vocal minority. And I don't, and I don't mean, I'm not just casting aspersion on all Snyder fans. I actually liked the Snyder cut, right? Like I didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was okay, but I did not like Batman versus Superman. And I did not like the last act of man of steel and Suicide Squad was terrible, right? Like we, you got to admit these things. And I didn't like them because I was a DC fan. It was not like, you know, I'm just a shill for Marvel, which was such a weird, you know, insult. <laughs> like, I wish Disney paid me to like give their movies good reviews. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> anyway, let's take a break. Well, before we do, any final thoughts on The Flash? I'm just excited. Like I said, Michael Keaton looks great. And it's going to be fun. You know, Michael Keaton, Batman, chef's kiss. When he says like, yeah, I'm Batman. It's yeah. just, it's so good. I And yeah. I know what they're doing. I know it's nostalgia bait. I know it's fan service, but I will put on the clown makeup. I will go and Same. watch it. Like, this is my bread and butter. I love Michael Keaton's Batman so much. Grew up watching Batman, Batman Returns. And I just, yeah. I'm very excited. So I and I just like cross fingers that Ezra Miller will be recast when Barry Allen resets the universe. Please, please let that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, but that's that's the other kind of like elephant in the room is that if this movie does as well as everyone's anticipating it, like it just gives Warner more incentive to keep them around. And that's that's kind of the double-edged sword of and I and that's where I understand people's like we should boycott or whatever, but like you know, it is what it is at this point, you know, if we could go back in time and prevent them from casting Ezra to begin with, maybe, but at this point, and, and, you know, and to your, you know, I don't know what to think about like the future, because I think, you know, the other, the other thing, the other dirty little secret is like James Gunn is friends with Ezra Miller. Like, that's why, that's how Ezra got into the Peacemaker finale, right? Like he reached out to James and was like, Hey, can I be in that? He's like, sure, you know, and it's no, it's no coincidence that the only two remaining Snyderverse folks are Miller and Momoa, right? The two people who are at the end of Peacemaker because they have a personal connection to James Gunn. So, I mean, that also makes me feel like it's unlikely they'll recast, but who knows? I mean, there's no Flash movie in the, at least the initial slate. That is very true. Yeah. So, so I guess we'll see. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Is it possible at this point? For Ezra to be rehabilitated can their image be re- rehabilitated if they you know admit to the wrongdoing and and they've already said they're seeking therapy like is there a world because I know in, in some people's minds absolutely not but is I there just, a world where Ezra could be rehabilitated yeah. I don't know I think it has to do with like the victims themselves like of Ezra's like abuse and maltreatment saying like that this is something I mean, I, but I, that's an extremely heavy ask, I think, in any situation. And especially like, you know, you don't want to be like a corporation, a huge entertainment corporation is pressuring them to do so. But like if I mean, I think like, you know, in their statement, Ezra did like express at least some remorse. But I think there is just in general, a long way to go. Maybe they've started the first step. But, you know, in an ideal world, it would have been like at least a year or two or a few years where the public could see them on the rehabilitation journey, but it's, you know, ironically like the flash, it's moving a bit too quickly. Yeah. I would just say too, like if their issues are something that can genuinely be resolved through therapy, then like, yes, I hope that obviously then maybe eventually there will be a, some sort of like acceptance of uh, them still being around. I don't want to necessarily say forgiveness because forgiveness is, 100% on the victims as you know you were saying so I just think it's a matter of if what 
they have going on with them is something that can be genuinely resolved through like, you know, therapy and whatnot. If not, it's just like, you know, and at the end of the day, it's like, you can be a better person and no longer do those things. And not even because you're worried about your public image, like you can genuinely have healed and whatever it is that's caused you to act that way. But if people are still going to be a little bit like eh, about you, like there's unfortunately, like there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to accept that there's just going to be people who are never going to be okay with what you did. So that's also the thing that I think Warner Brothers needs to accept. And also Ezra themselves need to accept that that is some that is a very well possibility. This will be a very interesting press tour for this film. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I guarantee that Ezra's not going to partake in interviews. Unless they're very controlled interviews where maybe Entertainment Weekly or like Hollywood Reporter and like in order to get this interview, you can't ask about anything non-movie related. And then, and then you know, some journalists may say, well, then we, we're not going to do the interview. So like, mm-hmm. I think, but I, I guarantee Warner is going to be very secure about what gets out 100%. in these kinds of interviews mm-hmm. and say like any, any, any interviewer who reaches that line and says, you know, let's talk about, you know, your, your accuser's they'll probably shut down the interview right right then mm-hmm. and there, right? So, and and I'm guaranteeing you're not allowed to ask Sasha Kai or, you know, Michael yeah. Keaton or Ben Affleck or whoever else might be on the tour, any of those questions either, so. Yeah, totally. Anyway, so as I, as I, was, as I was saying, we're going to take a break, and on the other side of the break, let's talk about the movie that's currently racking up all the big bucks in the box office, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Guess what? Goalie Nutrition is sponsoring Hard Knock Life, and you can go to goalie.com to buy apple cider vinegar gummies, their ashwagandha gummies, super fruit gummies, and super greens gummies, and you get 10% off plus free shipping if you use the code HARDKNOCK at goalie.com. This is honestly, I've been taking the goalie gummies now for, for a couple weeks, and I have to say, they're tasty and they're good for you. Have you guys been enjoying the goalie gummies? I really like them. They're yummy, but it's a nice to add to my like routine of already like I normally take just straight vitamin C. So it's nice to have like extra supplements. For a long time, people have have praised the benefits of apple cider vinegar. And, you know, as someone who's had to like drink straight apple cider vinegar sometimes when I'm not (laughs) feeling well or, you know, I have some joint pain and your mom is like, drink some apple cider vinegar. Mm. It's not the most appetizing home remedy let's just say no, right. it tastes horrible so, like the apple cider part is like ooh, does it taste like apple cider it is like no it tastes like vinegar but acv is very good for you and the fact that goalie has been able to put the acv into these tasty little gummies made with pectin and fruit peels which make them vegan which is cool so if you're vegan you can still rock these gummies because everyone knows gummies are usually made out of like gelatin and nasty shit this these are made out of complete non-gmo gelatin-free gluten-free vegan ingredients and you can get the benefits all the benefits of apple cider vinegar taking these tasty delicious convenient gummies so go to goalie.com and use the code hard knock that's h-a-r-d-n-o-c just like the podcast you're listening to get 10 percent off your purchase of goalie products and free shipping it's a much better delivery device for that apple cider vinegar yeah these goalie gummies are great you get it I and it's, it's a delicious little candy. And I, I've been enjoying the Superfruits one. I did feel kind of refreshed after taking a few of those. Yeah, no, but I'm loving them so far. And they're definitely tasty. If you just want tasty gummies, at least just <laughs> eat them for the, the, like, the yummiest. Yeah. yeah. So go to goalie.com. Use the code HARDNOCK, H-A-R-D-N-O-C. Get 10% off your purchase and free shipping at goalie.com with the code HARDNOCK. I mean, Marvel just kind of prints money at this point. It's it's earned, I think, 130 million this weekend, and I think it's the biggest Ant Man movie, but it's also the lowest rated. I think second lowest to Eternals in terms of like critical reception. So, I'll I'll start off by just saying I was I didn't hate it as much as like the worst critical reactions are, and I kind of I felt this way about a lot of the Marvel movies. Like, and I think that's probably worse to be honest. Like, I don't I don't have any kind of like huge emotional reaction to any of these marvel movies at this point i didn't hate it i didn't love it i thought it was fine i thought michelle pfeiffer was actually really great she and jonathan majors were my favorite aspects of the movie Uh but but other than that yeah it was kind of like i mean i knew going in it was going to be 90 percent like cgi in these kind of like not that creative looking environments but you know like i said i was i was whelmed to 
to quote Robin from Young Justice, but wasn't blown away. And I, and I wasn't like disgusted, like a lot of like film Twitter is about Quantumania. So that's my thought, just kind of broadly. Brittany, where are you on the Quantumania? Um, I definitely agree with Jonathan Majors and Michelle Pfeiffer giving the best performances in it. They I feel like people so- aren't talking about Michelle enough. Like I, the Jonathan I, I, Majors I, thing is is pretty across the board, but like I was kind of like surprised by how great Michelle Pfeiffer was in this. Yeah, movie. I honestly would have loved more scenes of the two of them acting off of each other because when they're together too, like Jonathan, they're both great in their scenes, like in their like characters individually, but then when they're together, it's just like ah acting (laughs) it was so it was really good to watch them together shout out to katie o'brien though who is a black lightning cast fam and she was also on the last couple of seasons of agents of shield so she's been around the superhero block but yeah i don't know like paul rudd is always great i think in everything i've seen of him so it's never like a there's nothing i don't know and i've liked all the ant-man movies but i think that yeah maybe they could have been a little bit more brutal in this because like it's Kang <laughs> they're going up against so I think that they could have done something a little bit more like I don't not hate to say it but kill someone off <laughs> well let's uh, and then let's pause there and say if you haven't watched Quantumania yet from this point forward there will be spoilers so let me just put that out there just in case we don't want to get any <laughs> if, yeah. if you think we piss people off about Ezra Miller wait till we piss people <laughs> off about spoiling a movie that they haven't watched yeah, no, I just feel like this one could have could have taken a little bit more risk with some of the established characters. I don't know. Like, I think all the Ant-Man movies are, I think they're all three of them, honestly, are pretty, like, decent as a trilogy. Like, they haven't done anything, like, terrible where I'm like, oh, my God, don't make any more Ant-Man movies. But, yeah, I think this last one could have had a little bit more, a little bit slightly higher stakes and kept to it. Because I really thought, like, you know, at the end, it had me where I was like, oh, this is about to get real. This is about to get real. And then it kind of like, so I was just like, mm, so close. <laughs> so close. Yes. That moment specifically, I imagine you were talking about when we thought that Scott and Hope were going to be stuck in the quantum realm. That I, when they did that, I thought, oh my God, they're actually going to do this. They're actually going to leave us on a cliffhanger for yes. upcoming films and it would have been so great and compelling and mm-hmm. exciting but nope they they just get out of there along with the rest of the family and that just really emblemized my own frustrations with this film that it said it was going to go there with certain story arcs or characters and it just didn't it played it very safe it didn't let the characters drive the plot it was plot driving the characters and Jonathan majors is fantastic as Kang. You know, he elevates every scene that he's in along with mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer. So we said this in our review on, but why though, which y'all should check out like the writing the, that's where the main issue with this film comes from me with the script by Jeff Loveness. It just didn't do these characters much service. It just like required them to be in this overarching connecting plot of the wider MCU and the new villain Kang. The way that Michelle Pfeiffer's character, Janet Van Dyne, the original Wasp, one of the most brilliant characters in all of Marvel was written, was extremely frustrating. I'm sorry, but why wouldn't she tell anyone about Kang in the mm-hmm. surface world? Why wouldn't, why would she let her own sense of shame, while understandable, not let her warn people about a potential universe or multiverse ending threat after they just like have met Thanos and experienced him? Why was her plotline so contrived? There were so many contrivances in this movie, and it was. I love the first two Ant-Man films. I love that they are like in their own corner of the MCU. They're doing their own thing. They know what they're about. They're heist films. They like are quirky. They're about family. They're just like, they're so wholesome. And I just like hate, I genuinely hate that they decide to upfront the main new MCU villain in the third Ant-Man film. And they bereft us of a truly really great and wholesome Aunt Wasp family story. I- I'm sorry, but like the plot between uh, Scott and his daughter Cassie was very thin. I didn't really buy their reconciliation moment. I think that the analog they made between people being in homeless camps at the beginning of the film and needing to help people being oppressed by this dictator in a 
totally different scenario was extremely thin, weak, and really like insulting really to actually caring about real social issues. I'm sorry I'm going on and on, but there were many things I very much disliked about this film. I think it was a disservice to, I have a piece, another piece on But Why though, talking about why I think that overconnecting characters in the MCU leads to a huge systemic detriment where they're not able to grow as much as they can and everything is for the sake of the wider universe. And I think this film really falls into that trap really severely. I don't necessarily hate this movie. I gave it a five out of 10, so I consider it extremely mid, but you know, it's, it's aggressively mediocre. And that <laughs> what, what, that's what really frustrates me. Well, you know, you mentioned the interconnectivity and I agree. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of been Marvel's like problem for a minute now since Endgame, honestly right because i feel like they haven't figured out like you know Endgame was kind of i mean it was the perfect culmination and they've been kind of like struggling to to find a similar thread ever since but you know if they are so interested in like this interconnectivity and this is stupid to kind of like harp on but i was thinking like did they forget he was a podcaster because that's the whole thing in Ms. Marvel is that like Scott Lang has this, po- this like enormous podcast and that's how she knows so much about the Avengers. Because like I thought just something small, the audiobook gag, if it was his podcast, just make it his podcast and not an audiobook. Aww. And then then you have a little like connection to Ms. Marvel. Again, totally minor. No one should give a shit about. And and at the end of the day, it's not important. But I was just like, he's not a podcast. Like he's clearly not a podcaster. Right. Like that, like that just shows they podcast. do the interconnectivity sloppily. Right. <laughs> like not having those fine yeah. details. Because like I just thought, like, well, they could that whole gag in the car would have just been a perfect, you know, nod to the Ms. Marvel thing. But I yeah, I, I totally agree. I do I will say that, you know, I thought the same thing about Janet. One thing that I did think about is that I didn't realize going in the title Ant-Man and the Wasp. The wasp they were referring to was Janet, not Hope, because Hope doesn't do shit. Yeah, time. she's right. barely. I don't know if she's barely in it because of her takes. I don't know if that's why she's not there that much because of her. Oh uh, well, I mean, we can talk about how like Evangeline Lilly is. No one is criticizing her anti-vax stance, where Letitia Wright got all the all the smoke about her, and and you know. I, you you could argue Evangeline Lilly's anti-vax stance is way worse than Letitia Wright's because she's like because she's been more consistent with that. <laughs> yeah. Like she's actually like you know behind RFK Jr. saying like yeah get your government government hands off my body and stuff like that. So you know whatever. Yeah. But she's she's on late night talk shows and no one brings it up. <laughs> yeah, but I mean I don't know if that's also why like her role has been significantly you know cut. Because I was just like, she's really not in this as much. But you know, hey, give me more Jan. I'd rather I'd rather have Jan. Yeah. Hope anyway. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah, same, same. Like by a mile. <laughs> but yeah, I agree that the interconnectivity is just like it's starting to its downfall. And then, like Keith, you brought up, there's a perfect moment to make a a more smarter interconnected one, and they don't do it. And so that's like. I understand that they want certain things kind of connect in the long run, but I think they need to start thinking about each film needs to have some sort of individual stake that affects those characters within the film and not thinking about, all right, what's going to affect the whole entire Avengers team? Like that doesn't always need to be the case. But you know, th- to that point, like you guys were mentioning, there was a setup at the end where it looked like Hope and Scott would be trapped in the quantum realm. And, you know, they've been clearly kind of like at least hinting towards a young Avengers so it kind of made sense like oh this is how stature becomes like the mm-hmm. ant-man and the young avengers but like no she's just gonna somehow 30 seconds later open a portal to to the quantum realm and and save her mom and dad like they literally said this is our last chance to get home and like you think that when hope comes back to help scott against kang that that's her making a real sacrifice yes and like you know for them to like defeat this main villain and you know it's like just if they just cut it being the two of them stuck in the quantum realm that would have been a perfect ending that would have like elevated this film for me it would have made me look at things done in film differently it would have like just that one moment but no it's okay they're just back upstairs and now they're just like a bit worried about Kang is all. Well, and and yeah, well, I will say this though. One thing I was kind of like surprised about was how, I mean, it was pretty brutal. Like the, the beating Scott took, although again, by the time they're back in the real world, he seems fine, but it did make me think that, wow, Kang seems pretty easy to defeat if he's the main bad guy for the next several phases. And it just took an army of ants and Ant-Man and the Wasp to like destroy him. 
But it turns out that the Kang dynasty is not one Kang. We're actually getting the Council of Kangs. I mean, we got fucking Ramatut and Immortus. And, and I mean, this is this is like the, the holy shit like fanboy moments though, when you're like, wow, they really just did that, didn't they? <laughs> so it seems to be that it's the Council of Kangs that is going to be the main villain in these next few phases up until Kang Dynasty. Mm-hmm. What did you think of that? Because like, did you feel the same way? Like in the in the climax, thinking like, it's wild that they're going to have Ant Man be the one that takes down Kang. This big, like, it's like as if when when Thanos showed up in Guardians of the Galaxy, like Star Lord, like was the one to defeat him. You know what I mean? Like some minor hero defeats the big bad. Turns out he was not. I don't. Who knows? Maybe he he will come back and be the main Kang. He seemed to be Prime Kang. Because anyone who knows, and again, I wasn't a huge Marvel guy. I do know the Council of Kangs are like all the multiversal versions of Kang, but there's still a prime version of Kang who is the main bad guy, which we were led to believe this version of Kang was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So I guess two questions. What do you think of the Council? And do you think that the Kang we saw in this movie is A, really dead, or B, somehow will come back? And And my thing is, if that's the case, if he's not dead and he comes back, I feel like he's a little diminished because again, Scott Lang took him out. <laughs> yeah, I really think they should have kept with, especially when Scott's saying, I don't have to win, you just have to lose. Like we both have to lose, right? Right. right. Like we both have to lose or whatever. Like they should have kept, I think, with that energy actually, because even if like he let Ant-Man, I was like, you know, even if Ant-Man did take out him, I think it should have been a much heavier hit to Scott too. Not just like like, you can't say that line. I feel like you can't establish that line. And then, like, again, everything's great. He, But, okay, now he has to pay for his coffee, okay? You know? Yeah, you like, undercut you undercut the, the, the gravity with the way the movie ends. Yeah, and then, yeah, he has a little existential crisis moment where he's like, oh, wait, there's more coming? And it's just like, yeah, I don't know. But Ugh. then also he's... He so does... serious. Yeah. But that's but... been a Marvel thing. That's been a signature Marvel move for a while to, like undercut the gravity with a one i mean you know we talked about the snyder fans but i do you know the the one the good faith dc fans i think always did have a point that you know part of the marvel formula was kind of undercutting the seriousness and i think there's there is room for that i think marvel and dc like what we've had are like the extremes and yes the the marvel movies that get it right are the ones who are as i said earlier balanced emotion with spectacle yeah, right. I think that needs to be back in the forefront because, again, still my favorite thing from phase four is Werewolf by Night. And it's sad that I even think that, like, what, it's an hour special is better. Barely. Than, it's barely an hour, I think. I think it's better than Wakanda Forever. Like, you hate me, but I'm sorry. Like, that, it, it was so good and it was just so different than anything Marvel has done. And it also felt like there were genuine, like, stakes there. And it felt, so it's just so frustrating that, this one thing that is probably kind of as of right now not going to be a huge impact on the overall MCU as the best thing that they've done in, in a while. And it's just like, it's really frustrating. But I don't know. I wouldn't, I want to say I did not hate Quantumania. I thought it was fun. I think all the Ant Man movies are overall like fun films. But I feel like if you are going to bring in such a heavy hitter villain, you should have done then have heavier consequences. That's just my only thing about it. I mean, I don't think I've ever walked out of a Marvel movie and said, I hated that. I mean, like we said earlier, there are DC movies I've walked out and been like, why did I just subject myself? (laughs) But you know, every, even the, the worst Marvel movie, like I guess Eternals is the most, is the worst rated one. I I actually liked it. I, I, I it like was, Eternals. I thought it was really good. I don't think it's the worst. I didn't, it's, it's not a movie I will return to. And I think that's, that's kind of been the problem with Marvel movies post Endgame is that I don't think I will have any desire to return to any of them, mm-hmm. you know, more than the first time I saw them in the theater. Like, and the thing is, they're all available at the touch of a button on Disney Plus, and right. I'm still not like compelled to go back to Shang Chi or Wakanda. I've Forever seen Shang Chi a couple of times because I actually do really like that movie, but I've watched I've it twice, Werewolf yeah. by Night like five times so, so i mean and even the even the television <laughs> series like I'm, I'm not 
interested to go back and revisit any of the television series. And I think a part of the reason why is because so many of them are set up for what's next. Yeah. <laughs> Including that's also something that happened with Quantum Mania. I'll also be the outlier here and say that I personally did not enjoy Eternals. I, I understand like, you know, reasons yeah. to, to enjoy Eternals. Like there's some great performances. Again, it comes back to the writing. The writing in these films have mostly, in my opinion, not been good. I hated Multiverse of Madness. Again, it's mainly because of the writing. Like everyone gave us the best performance they could, but like these writers are not being hired. I I saw a TikTok about this actually, like noting that in Marvel Phase 4, they're hiring so many more TV writers. And the thing is like, obviously TV writers can make the jump to film and make really great stuff, but the key reason they're doing that is because they're treating it even more like a tv show now where these are episodes leading into something that's next and these are increasingly not being able to stand on their own which is so frustrating it's like one of my and i say this in my article it's one of my issues with miss marvel i think that they spend too much time and energy like the worst thing about the show what i mean it was great show overall but the worst thing about it was like the convoluted powers origin and the terrible villains and they both relate to what kamala is going to be doing later in the mcu in the marvels etc and it's like can we please just focus on telling a good individual story just like they did in the comics please i like i do not I, i i'm getting so tired and i think like Obviously, we have yet to see it in the financial returns, but I think increasingly more general audiences are getting tired of this as well. And it's just like, just please tell a good story. That's all we're asking for. Tell a good story that has a beginning, a middle, and an end. To go back to your original question, Keith, about the Kings and like setting that up, I'm just going to say it. I mean, I don't, I knew like King had multiversal variants and that we'd see them in one way or another, but like, that mid-credit scene made Kang look so goofy. I'm sorry. <laughs> the council I is really... goofy. <laughs> it yeah, is a goofy concept. Like... I mean, I was just, I was just like surprised that they went for it. You know. I, and speaking sure, of goofy yeah. concepts, we haven't even mentioned Modok. Oh my god, I hated him so much. <laughs> I, I barely knew anything about Modok, and I was like, I knew they messed up Modok. <laughs> That's just my opinion, of course. I mean, I thought it was I, again. It was just like one of those things where you're just like, wow, they actually went for it. My only problem with Modoc in the in the context of the movie was I just thought the CG on him was so terrible. Like they they yeah. had no effort in making Corey Stahl look like he's supposed to be a giant face inside a robot body, right? It was just like it was it, it looked like MS Paint like graphics. You know what I mean? It just and I, I don't want to besmirch the VFX artists because I know that they're being like work to the bone on absolutely these but, not on that yeah but if you're going to do modok i mean again modok is in itself a ridiculous concept as is kang mm-hmm. I, I love how like people are like hyping kang as this like super threat but to your point swara he's goofy <laughs> like the fact that he's like you know has this council of like variants that he could i mean those those like 60s era marvel comics 70s and 80s marvel comics are not like full of gravitas you know what i'm saying but there's a way to but do there's a way to do well, it for sure way- yeah yeah but i mean again i was just I, I just admired like the the gall to like put amortis and ramatut on the screen <laughs> like it's like it's like giving me like if, if matt reeves were to like the villain in the batman 2 is king tut and egghead <laughs> and but like in a in a matt reeves version i'd be like get on you dude if you can figure out a way to make those two characters compelling in a serious way. I'm proud of you. But anyway. Yeah. I do want to say though, I really, really loved the post credit scene because Which yeah. is basically the scene from Loki. It was yes, it was this is my favorite like MCU show is Loki. I think it's the like kind of probably the second best thing they've done in the phase. So it was really nice to have that scene. And then again to see like Jonathan Majors go back to being more menacing, like in that like little like theater vaudeville thing that doing. yeah so i am really excited to see what's going to happen with season two of loki especially because Keith's going to be in the season two so i don't know i'm very excited for the loki stuff but we'll see oh, before i forget the the thing i was most disappointed with in quantum mania and Brittany knows how i felt about the announcement of william jackson harper's casting <laughs> and i said at the time yeah. There is no way he's just playing a freedom fighter named whatever 
because he's been swirling in the Reed Richards rumors for so long that his his one answer to those questions has always been, I don't really like want to be in a Marvel movie. Right, like, or something along yeah, those lines. It was, it was more of I don't want to play another super smart guy like that again. I guess, but like that, he totally plays this guy like Cheedy. Like he didn't. He didn't, it was like I've seen William Jackson Harper in other things, mm-hmm. you know, in Love Life or Hooray. Like he doesn't play every character like Cheedy. This dude was totally Cheedy with like a pink head. But he's such a perfect Reed Richards casting that, maybe, and maybe I misinterpreted like his his denials in the past of like not wanting to be in a superhero movie or not wanting to be in a Marvel movie. But like, why would you choose this role? <laughs> to be in a Marvel movie when you could be Mr. Fantastic is all I got to say. It's about that bag. You don't think a Mr. Fantastic bag would be much bigger? (laughs) I was listening actually earlier today to For All Nerds and they had the same critique that you did, Keith, that it was basically like a cheaty on steroids, Mm. basically. But also they said, you know, other actors in Marvel like Gemma Chan have done multiple roles. So you could double cast and, yeah. you know, we don't know a lot about maybe he is a Reed Richards variant and we just don't realize it. And oh my God. The, oh, <laughs> until, no. until we see Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> because Peyton Reed is directing Fantastic Four. So he casts William here. Oh. So, okay. Now, like the tinfoil. Yeah, I know. Conspiracy, conspiracy theory. theory but I was just disappointed. Like, I was like, you know, I thought it was a ruse because at first when they announced William Jackson Harper, they were like in an undisclosed role. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. shit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> And it was like, he's actually playing a freedom fighter. And I was like, no, he's not. He's Reed Richards. And then when he came yeah. out and he was like, I'm just a psychic and, mm-hmm. you know, I'm going to deliver my lines like Cheaty. <laughs> yeah. I, Maybe this I is how know. they distract us from the truth. <laughs> and then he pulls off his shirt and he's got a four underneath, but it never happened. And I always get mad at like fans who get disappointed when things don't happen the way their head thinks it's going to happen, their head cannon. But I will totally own that my head cannon was like, he was Reed Richards, damn it. It's not going to be just some, but he was. So yeah, he could have. The thing is, he could have auditioned already for because even though they said that they're barely starting the casting process, he could have already auditioned, and they were just like, you know, no, we're not actually feeling you as Reed. Yeah. But maybe Peyton was like, I like him. Let's just, I'll give yeah, him. Yeah, I guess. Job, you know? That could have been what happened, which if that's the case, then, you know, I just hope whoever they pick as Reed is going to be great. I do hope they make Reed a man of color, regardless of the actor, because I don't know. Especially if Kang is descended from thousands of years ago, there's a way for it to finally end up being, you know, Jonathan Majors. But yeah, I don't know. I, but I do find it hard that Jonathan Majors descended from John Krasinski. I would rather no. have someone else be his descendant. Please, ancestor. no. <laughs> no, like, like, let's just call a spade a spade. Like John Krasinski's performance in Multiverse of Madness was very blah. <laughs> just, it was just to appease like some fan bros online. Listen, while I like do want fantastic forecastings to be like people of color and especially also ben Grimm to be played by a jewish actor i've also like and this is probably like my fault being online too much and looking at the rumors and such i've also just gotten exhausted by the (laughs) casting conversations that i've almost gotten past the point of caring Mm -hmm. but i don't know like if it were william jackson harper like i was on the train with you keith like i'm all in like i'll change my tune like please let this happen yeah i mean i i've I've said all along i just went the good place cast as the fantastic four but anyway that's that's not going to happen since you're our special guest host this week swar i'm going to let you go first what's been nerd popping with you well first off thank you so much for having me this was a delightful conversation as always two things are nerd popping for me staying on the uh, marvel side there's a new series that has just debuted both on disney channel and the first six episodes are on disney plus moon girl and devil dinosaur This series is amazing. (laughs) The animation is stellar. The voice acting all across the board. You know, they have Lawrence Fishburne and Jennifer Hudson. And they have Alfred Woodard, the uh, main actress. I forget her name. I know her first name is Diamond, who voices Lunella Lafayette. Moon Girl is fantastic. And just like the show is so diverse. It's like so riveting. It has themes that are great for both kids and adults. They tackle like really great themes like for example they did an episode about like black hair specifically and you know not to give too much away but jennifer hudson voices lunella's hair and it's amazing (laughs) and i love devil dinosaur like i just like and i love that this amazing animated series has 
no connection to the MCU. That's just like its own amazing Marvel animated series. Like this is honestly like where I love superhero on-screen stories the most, like in animated series, where that's Batman, the animated series, Spider-Man, the animated series, Superman, the animated series, Justice League, Justice League Unlimited, Static Shock, Young Justice, etc. It's like, they've like found the formula of how to adapt these comic stories. And like, I just want more and more. And I'm so happy for Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur coming into that tradition. On the WB and DC side, so last month, yeah, I think it was a month or a month and a half ago, I finally got a PS5. You know, the great shortage is done. And one of the games I immediately downloaded, even though I could have gotten it for maybe my computer or iPad, but I really want on PS5 is WB Multiverses, where you can play as characters from across like WB, IP, and DC media. And it's like it's Smash like, Brothers, but with uh, Warner Exactly. Stuff. This is the game of my dreams. <laughs> I have always, I've always been a DC fan at heart, but also a WB fan at heart, despite all of the trials and tribulations WB has been through. I still like hold them as number one and getting to play as Cartoon Network characters like Garnet, as Finn or Scooby-Doo or like Shaggy and then Superman, Batman. And like, it's just, it's so good. I love multiverses. It's like, I love like, you know, how you can jump in and out. That's how I've been gaming mostly, especially with my Switch, like in and out and not as much long form storytelling, although I do have God of War Ragnarok. But uh, yeah, WB multiverses. Love it. Play it if you haven't yet. Awesome. Brittany, what's nerd popping? So I actually really dig the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer. I know it's going to hurt me because I think they're going to kill Rocket and Rocket is my favorite character. I think they might kill multiple Guardians. It's, yes, it's but Rocket is the one that's going to hurt me What the if most. they all die? Well, all right, get rid of Star-Lord. <laughs> but the one that is going to hurt me the most, I know, is going to be Rocket. Yeah. So James Gunn, I am going to sue you for emotional damage. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think that looked really fun. And then uh, on the emo side of my nerd pop and stuff, Pierce the Veil's new album and Paramore's album is out. They're both really great. Thick Skull is a great song off of a new Paramore album. And Pierce the Veil's Flawless Execution, two perfect songs. Go check those out. And yeah, that's, that's my nerd popping. Awesome. Well, who knew Ben Affleck would have like the best showing at the Super Bowl because his Dunkin' Donuts commercial was my favorite commercial, but he was also, he showed up in the Flash. I didn't think he was actually going to show up in the Flash trailer as Bruce Wayne and Batman. Oh, we didn't even mention this in, we, in the Flash conversation. He's wearing a blue and gray bat suit. Ben Affleck is. If you go, Because I've seen the trailer like literally a thousand times. When you see Ben Affleck's Batman, he's rocking blue and gray. And you actually, in the TV spot of the Flash, there's a scene where old Bruce goes into his, you know, bat cave closet and there's various versions of his bat suit, including the 89 suit and the Batman return suit to the left of the 89 suit is a blue and gray Michael Keaton bat suit, which as a collector of the Kenner toys from the, from the nineties, there was a, there was a figure called the iron winch Batman, which was blue and gray version of the Michael Keaton Batman suit. And it's it's sitting there in the closet. And I was like, yes, they've canonized the Iron Winch Batman. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, sorry to go off on that tangent, but Ben Affleck was also in the Air Jordan trailer. So what's nerd popping for me, though, is a little bit sadder. We didn't get to talk about this last week because he passed the day after we recorded. But True Going, the Dove, Plug 2 of De La Soul passed away last week. And it's doubly sad because De La Soul finally got the rights to their music back. If you were a Teen Titans Go fan, there was a crazy awesome episode a couple years ago where the Teen Titans teamed up with De La Soul to fight the music industry to get their music back. And they did. They got it back. And it was actually going to start streaming, I think, next week, like the beginning of March. And and Plug 2 passed last week. So uh, De La Soul was one of the most important hip hop groups of my generation. And, and, you know, he was like 54, which is crazy young to to pass away so shout out to de la de la soul and and plug two aka dave aka true Goy the dove rest in peace suara how can people find you on the internet y'all can find me on twitter as long as it lasts <laughs> at spider Swars. i'm on instagram at swarzy underscore eight i write for nerds of color and do interviews for the website so check some of those out including my recent interview with the flash showrunner eric wallace which which blew up by the way <laughs> just so you know yes thank you so much for everyone for like your warm reception to it and 
apologies for that one uh <laughs> which, quote, which is one of the reasons why it blew up anyway. but it's all good <laughs> you know what we got more views out of it so there it, it we worked go. it worked in the long run <laughs> I also write for But Why Though I, and The New Arab and other websites. You can check out my work on there and you can find my show on the Hard Knock Network, which is The Middle Geeks, which I co-host with my good friend and co-host May. We talk about any and all things in Southwest Asians, North African or Middle Eastern and North African Swana slash Mina media, and we give our takes on it. So check us out wherever you get your podcast. Awesome. Brittany. You can follow me at Hi Brittany Monet on Twitter, Instagram, and still Hive, even though I know Hive is like in between being like, I don't know. Yeah. It's so buggy. I know. Oy. And then also you can check out at Lituation underscore pod, which is my other podcast that I do with, you know, everyone who I used to do Black Lightning with, basically. And yeah, that's kind of it that I got going on. You can find me on Twitter at the real Chow, the underscore real underscore Chow, and on Instagram at real Keith Chow. Follow the Nerds of Color at the Nerds of Color on all platforms, and go to hardknockmedia.com where you can find this, as well as the Middle Geeks and all the podcasts in the Hard Knock family. Please give us a like and a review if you do. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com/slash the Nerds of Color. Buy merchandise at tpublic.com. Search the Nerds of Color. And subscribe to our videos at youtube.com slash the nerds of color. That is Hard Knock Life for this week. The 300th episode of Hard Knock Life. Yeah, we did 300 of these bad boys for the next 300. Until then. So maybe a retrospective of Zack Snyder's 300. (laughs) That's going to be the next episode. This is Hard Knock Life. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's what we need. (laughs) 